All right, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in week two of a series called Anger Management. We're talking about everyone's favorite topic, about getting angry. You know, that thing that your spouse does. You know, that thing that your boss does or thing that your cousin needs to hear about. We're talking about that topic that, of course, you don't need because you got it totally under control. But maybe someone in your life may need to hear about is how to keep that anger under control. What we talked about last week is there are different ways to express anger. So you may not think that you have an anger problem because we talked about how there's like imploders and exploders. There's martyrs, there's manipulators. And usually we think of the exploders, like they're the ones with the anger problem. But what we saw last week is that whether you explode or implode, whether you manipulate or you're a martyr, we all have an issue with anger. And what we need to do, we're trying to do here in this series, is come up with a plan to address it, to manage that anger. And last week we looked at the first step of the plan, which is just kind of like a high-level overview of how we're going to approach the topic. We are going to go, who remembers the three things we're going to do last week? We said we're going to go slower. We're going to go deeper and we're going to go higher. We're going to go slower because we're going to pause. And sometimes that pause is all it takes to avert something very catastrophic. We're going to go deeper. We're going to look past what people say and listen to what people are saying with their feelings, their emotions, not just their words. Then we're going to go higher and we're going to lift up our hearts and ask God to do a new work inside of all of us because ultimately that's the only thing that can make a difference. Now, what we're going to talk about today is resolving conflict. Okay, one of the sources of all that anger, and the reason why this is an important topic is as you see up there on the screen, here's our big idea for today. I believe that your success in life is largely determined by your ability to resolve conflict. How's that for a bold statement right up front? That your success in life is largely determined by your ability to resolve conflict. And I say that because life is about relationships, right? When you're good at relationships, you're good at life. And if you're good at everything in life except relationships, you won't say your life is successful. And the opposite, if you may not have had the car or the house or the career, but you know what, your relationships, like when you're on your deathbed, no one says, bring me my diploma so I can get one last look at the diploma. No one says, bring me my car so I can just see my car. What people say is relationships. And the saddest thing is to get to the end of this life and realize that you lost in relationships. That means you lost in life. So what I believe is the goal the measure of success is not avoiding conflict, but the ability to win at conflict. That's the one who's going to be successful in life. Think of the opposite. How many people today are losing at life because of conflict that's just kind of left out there? That's unresolved. That thing with my parents. How many people are losing at life today because of that thing with my parents? that happened in 1989 and we never really got it resolved or from my childhood, that thing with my parents. How many couples are losing at marriage because of a conflict that happened on the honeymoon or in the second week or in the second year and it's just kind of one of those unresolved things. We just kind of jab at each other here and there, but we never really resolved it. We're losing at life. How many careers are derailed because someone doesn't know how to approach conflict the right way? How many churches are divided? because people don't know how to disagree in a healthy manner and end up in a bad situation. The problem is, if you went to school the way I went to school, you learned a lot of things in school, and a lot of things, if you were like me, you said, when are we ever gonna use this in school? I remember having a discussion with my calculus teacher, and to this day, I'm still not convinced how calculus has any bearing on anything in life. I still can't figure out the, the, the hyperbola, the parabola, whatever that nonsense kind of stuff is, and I think I'm doing pretty okay in life. All the things that we learned in school, we never took a class in conflict resolution. 
Like we were never taught how to be good at resolving conflict. What we were taught how to do is if you have an opinion, state it, state it louder, state it louder, state it louder, state it louder. And if the other person doesn't agree, it's their loss. We were never taught how to resolve conflict in a healthy, God-honoring way. So the problem is because we were never taught a strategy, we don't think about conflict resolution until we are in the conflict. And by then, it's kind of too late. Because once emotions have gotten involved, then all of a sudden, whatever the issue was, like there was an issue at the start, but then that issue gets buried way under there. And then it becomes the emotional stuff, the response, the who said what, the who did what, the who threw what first. Like it becomes all that stuff. And now we're trying to clear up the waters that have gotten muddied. And the issue, we don't even remember what that issue is. And I'll do this. I'll take a survey right now. Let's do show of hands. Let's play along here at home. How many? Be honest. Be honest. How many people in the past year, in the past year, be honest, have gotten into a major fight about something very small or insignificant? Raise your hands. How many people? Okay. Very good. Okay. Now let, let's do this. Let's go like survival. How many people in the past month? Big fight over something small. Still some hands. Anyone this morning? Anyone on the way to church this morning? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Come see me after church. We got a couple. Okay. Very good. The point is, is conflict is inevitable. The goal of, our, of my message today isn't to say avoid conflict. That's actually, you know what? I think actually sometimes we need more conflict, especially remember I'm the imploder. If you're the imploder, if you're the martyr guy, then actually you need more conflict. You need to bring it up, but you need to do so in a healthy way, in a God-honoring and God-pleasing way because the goal isn't to avoid conflict. The goal is to learn how to resolve it. If there was anybody who could have lived a life conflict-free, that would be Jesus. If anybody had a, like a workaround, never had to have a conflict with anyone, it was Jesus. Let's say you're Jesus, you're late to whatever appointment. Conflict coming, no problem. Just move the sun back a few degrees, all of a sudden you're not late. Just change the time right there. There you go. Let's say you're Jesus and friend gossips about you behind your back. You don't need conflict. Lightning, boom, right there, right on the spot. Okay, earthquake. The things that they call act of God, right? I'll show you act of God. There's act of God right there. If you're Jesus and you're stuck in traffic, man, I know, I know you parted the Red Sea. I know parting 66 might be a little bit more difficult, but if you could do the Red Sea, you might even be able to part 66 and find your way through there. Like if there's anybody who could have lived a life of no conflict, avoided it, it would have been Jesus. But did Jesus have conflict? I got news for you. If you study the Gospels, Jesus like went out of his way to initiate conflict sometimes. How many times did Jesus heal somebody on the Sabbath? I'm reading the stories and I'm like, man, like you got Monday, you got Tuesday, you got like, you got like seven days in the week, like had to be that day. Like the person couldn't have waited another 15 minutes. Like a person, that one guy who was sick for 38 years, like 38 years today had to be the day. Couldn't wait till sundown till the next day. Like why today? Like it had to be today. Jesus went out of his way to choose as part of his merry gang of, of followers, a tax collector. And he went out of his way not to like take Levi, the tax collector, pull him aside when no one's looking and be like, hey, you want to follow me? Just don't tell anyone. Just take off your tax collector tag and just, just come follow me. He went and made a big show when Levi's collecting the taxes said, hey, you, follow me. He wanted to make a big, he wanted everybody to see, I want the tax collector. He chose Mary Magdalene, lady who had seven demons in her. And everyone knew that she was the demon-possessed lady and said, you will be the first one to spread the gospel of my resurrection. He seemed to invite conflict because, again, the goal is not to avoid it, but how to resolve it in a God-honoring way. 
I love this verse from Romans 12, 18. I love the simplicity, the honesty, the practicality of this verse. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. What I love that it doesn't say, it doesn't say live peaceably with all men. It doesn't say that. It says, St. Paul is honest, and St. Paul says, you know what? If it's possible, I'm acknowledging this sometimes it's not going to be possible. There's some people that you may do everything, do everything, do everything, do everything. They will never forgive you for what you did to them. They are too hurt. They will never let you back into their life. It is not possible to live peaceably with all men. There are some people who you will try and try and try and try, and you know what? Never. But you know the key to this verse? If I'm going to get to the end, and I'm going to stand in front of God, okay, and you're going to stand in front of God, and we're going to have a conflict with each other that was unresolved. You and I are going to stand in front of God, just like being called into the principal's office. Okay, when two students fight and they get called in the principal's office. I'm going to stand in front of God, and I want to be able to say, it wasn't because I didn't do everything I could. Like, yeah, I may not have reconciled with so-and-so. I was never able to reconcile. But it, wouldn't, it wasn't because I didn't do my best. It wasn't because I didn't try and try and try. As much as depends on me, I tried. And some people will never accept. And like I said, some people, they just won't. But it won't be if we have conflict at the final day of judgment between us and somebody else. It will not be because we didn't do as much as depends on us. And that's what we're trying to talk about here today is the part that depends on us. We cannot control the results of what the other person responds because, again, even Jesus himself did everything that he could and some people refused to accept. Some people ended with conflict with Jesus. The goal isn't the other person. The goal is as much as depends on me. I will do my best. And if there's conflict between you and I, it will not be because I didn't do my absolute best to resolve it. Look at this verse from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 15. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Look, it connects peace with all people with a life of holiness. And it says both of them, holy life, need that to see the Lord. Peace with all people, need that to see the Lord, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So what I'm going to say this, I believe that unresolved conflict is the greatest hindrance to my relationship with God. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Unresolved conflict is the greatest hindrance to our relationship with God. Now, most people would say, isn't sin the greatest hindrance to our relationship with God? Like, isn't sin what stops me from being closer to God? I don't think so. I look at sin as like speed bumps along the path. You're never going to stop the speed bumps, and they're always going to slow you down, but the speed bump won't derail you. Like, you're going to sin, and then you're going to confess, and then grace of God, and you're going to be good. You're going to keep on going. And then you're going to sin, and you're going to repent, and you're going to confess grace of God. You're going to keep on going. That's fine. That's a normal part of life. I'm not saying sin is good, but what I'm saying is sin won't derail you. You know what derails your spiritual life? What derails your spiritual life is when I can't forgive my mother. I can't forgive my mother for what she did. That will derail your spiritual life. That will stop you from having a relationship with God. That will stop you from being able to worship God and pray to God and read his word. What will derail your spiritual life is when every time the garage opens, you get panicky and you get anxiety as to who is entering that door. That unresolved conflict with that person, that's what's going to stop you from being able to read your Bible that night. That's what's going to stop you from being able to live in communion with God. I cannot 
be angry at my spouse and then close the door and go do my quiet time. I can't. I can't be fighting with Marianne. And I hate her and she hates me. I'd be like, well, it's time for quiet time. And you know what? If I could, that's an even bigger problem. That's an even bigger problem. If you can gossip about somebody on Monday and then come to church on Sunday and greet one another with a holy kiss, that's a greater problem. That's a much greater problem. If your heart is filled with hate and you can come and say, I love my neighbor as myself, that's a much greater problem. Our vertical is connected with our horizontal. If there's conflict here, there cannot be peace here. If there's anger here, there cannot be peace here. There cannot be love here. You cannot stand in front of God and say, fill my heart with peace when I'm brewing up a storm of anger on the inside. Conflict with people will be the greatest hindrance to your relationship with God unless you learn how to resolve it. And again, it's not just me. Look what Jesus said right here. He made a very clear connection between conflict resolution and worship. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says it very clearly. He says that you're coming to worship me, but you got drama with your brother? Man, you need to go solve it with your brother first by this Sorry to say this. There's some people who are sitting here today that shouldn't be here. Some of you shouldn't be in church today. Some of you, there's something much more pressing and much more urgent. You need to get up and walk out. Maybe after I finish, but you should be doing that. Shouldn't have come in the first place. Because what is this saying right here is that if you got a problem with your brother, you can't worship God. And uh, on behalf of all the... Uh, Fundraising committees in every church everywhere like to point out that when this verse says that you should leave church, what does it say you should do with the gift that you're coming to offer? <laughs> leave your gift and then go offer, okay? Every fundraising committee in finance is like, yeah, make sure they leave the gift, okay? But then, yeah, go make peace, but leave the gift, okay? We're trying to build a building here, so we... we... The point here is, the point is, if it is in your power to live peaceably with somebody else and you haven't done all that is possible within your power... That's the first priority, even before worshiping God. So here's what we're going to do here today. We are going to talk about two things today when it comes to conflict resolution. Big picture, a strategy, detailed, practical steps. We're going to talk about a strategy and steps, a mindset, an attitude, an overarching theme of how we're going to approach this, and then some practical steps, one, two, three, four, of what we're actually going to do. I'm going to spend the majority of the time on this, the strategy, and not on the steps. I say that most of the time when we talk about conflict resolution, we want more steps and we want less strategy. But I personally think that we spend too much time focusing on the how, not enough time on the what. And I promise you, 90% of conflict resolution is your attitude. It's your mindset. If you do, I'm going to only ask you to do one thing strategy-wise, one thing. And if you do this one thing, that's 90% of conflict resolution. Yes, we can work on the steps and we'll have a strategy or, or, or like the details. And I promise we'll talk about that in the end. But I promise you, it's not in the steps. If you don't get the first part right, the second part is of no value. If the mindset, if the heart, if the attitude isn't there, you can do all the steps. You can read it right off of my screen, off the screen right here. Exactly as what Father Anthony said. If the mindset's not right, no good. 
And the mindset, the strategy is actually very simple. And it's not complicated, but I guarantee you, it's the one thing that you don't want to do. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to say it right now. The one thing, think what is the last thing I want to do when it comes to this conflict, and that's going to be the very thing I'm going to ask you to do, and that is take the initiative in resolving it. Take the initiative. And I can hear you right now. No way. Not me. He should. She needs to. Me apologize. Me come to her. No, she need to come to me. No, after what she did or what he did, no way. Father Anthony, I'm not budging. Hold on, let's hold your horses, hold your horses, hold your horse. I'm not saying go and apologize. I may say that in a minute. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm not saying apologize. All I'm saying is take the initiative. Address the issue. Especially if you are, like me, the imploder that we talked about last week, who's just digging your heels in and just kind of getting more bitter, or you're the one who pretends there's no problem, or you're the one just kind of go about your day-to-day life. What I'm saying is, come, face the conflict, take the initiative in resolving it. And what you're going to do, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm not telling you what to do, but what I'm saying is, stop turning a blind eye. Stop pretending it doesn't bother you. Stop pretending it doesn't exist. Take the initiative. I have a picture right here that I think says how a lot of conflict exists in the world today, in homes, in churches, and friendships. It's like this. And each one is digging in. All I'm saying, I'm not saying apologize. Again, I may say apologize. All I'm saying is, is anybody going to turn around? You and your husband sitting like this for 10 years. Anyone going to turn around? You and that friend that you haven't talked to since seventh grade. Each of you justified in your position. What she did, what he did, what that did. Is anybody going to turn around and open a conversation? The scriptures command us to be peacemakers. And I've discovered that many of us are peace wisher forers, peace lovers. We love peace, we wish for peace, but that's not what we're commanded to do. We're not peace prayer forers. We are people who are commanded to turn around and make peace and take the initiative. Now, some people would say, but doesn't time heal all wounds? Doesn't time heal all wounds? Does time heal all wounds? Doctors, let's say I'm bleeding from my pancreas right here, okay? My pancreas just exploded. Blood is gushing everywhere. Oh, don't worry. Time heals all wounds. (laughs) Does time heal all wounds, doctors? Time heals the wound when you address it, you bandaged it up, you put the cast on whatever it may be, then yes, time heals the wounds. But if it's just spewing blood and unaddressed, no, time does not heal all wounds. And in relationships, I have news for you, and you know this from experience, time does not heal the wound. You know what time does? It makes you more comfortable with the wounds. It makes it easier to kind of, you kind of settled into what life looks like when me and my spouse are distant. Nobody, just, we just kind of go our own way. You made it easier to just have a superficial relationship with your father or with your mother or with your sister or brother. You made it easier. You know what? She sits on that side of the church. I sit on this side of the church. Time heals all wounds. No, it didn't. It didn't heal any wounds. All it did is make you comfortable with the conflict. And that's not what we want. And I know this personally. I'll tell you all a true story. 
and I say this, my wife gave me permission to tell this story, about the worst period in our marriage ever. How's that for an intro to get people's attention? Here I am to tell you about the worst period in the history of my marriage. Ain't nobody sleeping right now. This is what Marianne and I refer to as the three-month period, okay? When a, when, when, when a fight is so bad, it has a title, okay? So if you, if you, like, if you give it a title, this episode, this chapter in life, we call it three-month period. Three-month period started off very simple. This is probably our first year of marriage, second year of marriage, something like that. First, second year of marriage, and something happened. Okay, we're something, and we brought, and it was something small, and doesn't really matter who was right. <laughs> but it was something small, and Marianne didn't see it the way I saw it, so I tried to convince her. Remember, I'm not the exploder, I'm the imploder, and we're early on in our marriage, so we're trying to kind of figure this thing out, so I'm just explaining how I see it, and she wasn't seeing it that way. And I tried, and she didn't convince, and she wasn't budging, and I wasn't budging. So then I did what any imploder would do. I said, fine. 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 You win. You're right. But I was annoyed. And I was bitter. And I went into my manipulator mode. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Jab. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And she'd be like, everything okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she would try to talk about, you know, you know, we need to talk about this. And I would just make a joke. That's, that's kind of how I, how I deal with conflict when I don't want to. I just make a joke. I made a joke of everything. And this and this and that. Oh, it's, 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 you know, how come? Oh, it's fine. It's, it's, it's. And I just dodged. And she would want to talk. And is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. And we need to do this. And we need to, oh, yeah, we need to. And I would just dodge. I would just dodge. You know what? I'm going to show her. I'm going to show her. Because I was just getting bitter. And I was just digging my heels in. And I even remember for a while, I even forgot what we were fighting about. I didn't even remember what the issue was, but I just remember I was right and she was wrong. That's all I remember. I even remember there was one time, okay, where she, she was like trying to bring up, ser- I wouldn't have a serious conversation. I was just always dodging, whatever it was. She one time brought up, we should have children. You know what my answer was? Okay, let's have kids. She was like, you know, we should discuss. I'm like, okay, let's have them. Let's have kids. I, I was not going to allow her to get inside and address any issue until finally, three months later. She said, enough is enough. What is wrong? And she would not let me go. 20 minutes later, everything was fine. 20 minutes later, everything was fine. We're 18 years and counting, and we have never run into that situation ever again. But here's my point. Time was not going to heal that conflict. What healed that conflict is Marianne turned around and says, hey, what's wrong with you? Hey, I'm not going to stop until you turn around and face me. Marianne took the initiative, and I am thankful that I have a wife who's much more mature than I am, who is willing to take the initiative, address the situation, and to be not a peace lover, but a peacemaker. And I'll throw it back to you. How about you? Are you willing to take a step in whatever conflict? Are you willing to send that text message, open the line of communication? Are you willing to address the elephant in the room in the relationship, that hurtful comment, that issue that I don't trust or that you don't trust? 
Like, whatever it was, like, are you willing to address it? Or are you just going to stand like this for the rest of eternity? And I'm telling you, if Marianne, I know myself, I'm a stubborn person. If Marianne had not turned around, I, to this day, would be sitting in the exact same spot. And who would have lost then? Who would be the loser then? Yeah, me. Thank you. Okay. It's one of those assumed things, but thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Because something small became something big, and it would only continue to get bigger over time. The little thing that bothered me would become annoyed me, would become angered me, would become resentful, would become bitter, would become, and no one wants that. I have a nice quote here from one of the uh, great church fathers. His name is St. John Chrysostom. He speaks a lot about anger and relationships. This is a long quote, so I won't uh, break it down, but it's a beautiful quote. It's kind of long, but stick with me right here. It is beautiful, 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 beautiful. He says, just as maniacs who never enjoy tranquility, so also he who is resentful and retains an enemy will never have the enjoyment of any peace. The one who digs in is only hurting himself. And what he says, we know this to be true, incessantly raging and daily increasing the tempest of his thoughts, calling to mind his words and acts and detesting the very name of him who has aggrieved him, saying that this person, I'm angry at you. And just the mention of your name, just thinking about you makes my blood boil and just makes me angry. Who's losing now? Do you but mention his enemy? He becomes furious at once and sustains much inward anguish. And should he chance to get only a bare sight of him. He fears and trembles as if encountering the worst evils. Sorry to say this, but how many of us, like I said, the mention of our dad's name, the mention of our mom's name, the thought of being with them at Thanksgiving, just the mention of that person being at that event. I'm not going to that event because just the mention of that person would be at the same social gathering. It, it creates a reaction in me and it causes bad stuff inside me. Who's losing now? Indeed, if he perceives any of his relations, if but his garment or his dwelling or street, he is tormented by the sight of them. Just see his shirt or his house. For as in the case of those who are beloved, now he flips to the opposite side. He's saying, just like when you see someone you love, it creates good feelings. Okay, when it's someone you anger, it's the opposite. For as in the case of those who are beloved, their faces, their garments, their sandals, their houses or streets excite us the instant we behold them. So also should we observe a servant or friend or house or street or anything else belonging to those we hate and hold our enemies, we are stung by all these things. And the strokes we endure from the sight of each of them are frequent and continual. What is the need then of sustaining such a siege, such torment, such punishment? He's saying, why are we doing this to ourselves? Why every mention of their name? I'm torturing myself. Why? What's the benefit of it? For if hell, listen to what he says here, for if hell did not threaten the resentful, Yet for the very torment resulting from the thing itself, we ought to forgive the offenses of those who have aggrieved us. He's saying if it wasn't a matter of heaven and hell, and if you weren't going to get judged for the anger and the unforgiveness, still there's enough reason to let it go because you're living in hell on earth. That's powerful words. But when the deathless punishments remain behind, what can be more senseless than the man who both here and there brings punishment upon himself while he thinks to be revenged upon his enemy. Those are powerful words. And we all know that to be true from our experience. Strategy, take the initiative. Turn around. 90% of conflict resolution is take my heels out of the sand, okay, and be willing to talk and be willing to have a conversation. Now what we're going to do is we're going to shift gears to the second half. 
the steps. And I'm going to go through these quick. I'm going to talk about four steps. These are not the only four ways to resolve conflict. These are simply what I see, the steps that I think you should consider taking. Other people, like if you and your friends or you and your marriage, you've got your own system, like more power to you. All right, I'll share about how Mary and Marianne, one of the things that actually resolves conflict for us oftentimes is sending emails and not talking to each other face to face. I'll talk about that in a little bit. That works for us, may not work for you, like whatever works for you. But let me tell you four things that you should keep in mind. And I realize that these four things you're not gonna want because you're gonna wanna dig in. It's always gonna be easier to talk about that person than talk to that person. It's always gonna be easier just to kind of stay where I am. We're gonna take the initiative. Here's four thoughts. Number one, schedule a meeting. Schedule a meeting. I know. The emotion people, like here I, I'm the, 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 the logical, the, the, the heartless, the overly, I understand. I know I'm making this kind of businessy, but I truly believe that when it comes to resolving conflict, emotion is your worst enemy. And the more emotion is in there, the less you'll be able to see the issue and it'll be just focused on the stuff around the issue. That's like what I said, when me and Marianne, when we sometimes, we couldn't get to a resolution that night, each one go to bed, it's gonna be okay in the morning, an email after time in prayer, time in reflection, focused on the issue. When you said this, made me feel this, now this. She sends me that email, that's my love language, is email, okay? That's speaking my love language. It works for us, it may not work for you, but at least an emotionless discussion. Emotionless discussion, okay? <laughs> Write that one down. <laughs> Genesis chapter three, the very first conflict that happened on this earth between man and God. After Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Look in Genesis chapter three, verse seven. It says, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, the next verse, I believe, is the most important verse in all of Scripture. I believe that the next verse is the most important verse in all of Scripture. Now, without the next verse, the entire universe would be in a different place. You'd be in a different place. I'd be in a different place. Man sinned. Man was afraid. Man was 100% at fault. And man was afraid, so man was hiding from God. And look at the next verse. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? The Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Who is at fault, Adam or God? God's over there, Adam's over here. Who's at fault? Adam, who should have taken the initiative in this relationship? Like if it's God, let him come apologize to me. Like God didn't do anything to him. Like why, why should God come and say, Adam, where are you? Why should God schedule a meeting with Adam? God said, you come talk to me. And Adam's the one who should have apologized. You think Adam would have ever apologized? You know what? If God had not come to Adam and say, hey, Adam, where are you? What's going on? If God had not taken the initiative to say, hey, we need to talk. You know where Adam would be? You know where you and I would be today? Still behind that tree. We would not be in the good graces of God. We'd still be behind that tree. If God didn't take the initiative to come to Adam, even though I'm not at fault, you're at fault, Adam, but I'm coming to you because I'm a peacemaker, not a peace wisher for her or a peace prayer. I'm a peacemaker. And he came to Adam and said, hey, Adam, we need to talk. Because love takes initiative. Love goes to the other person, regardless of who's at fault. Love takes the initiative. Schedule a meeting. Go to the other person and say, we need to talk. When's a good time to talk? 
Timing, anyone who's ever had meetings, applies at work, applies in relationship, timing is the most important thing. When's a bad time to have a meeting? Before bedtime and before food time. Not good times. When tired, when hungry, not good times to have these meetings. Maybe a good time would be uh, in the morning when everyone is fresh. Maybe a good time would be Sunday afternoon when the skin's actually won, but that's probably few and far between. So maybe, you know, become a Patriots fan or whatever it may be, like switch teams. Maybe a good time would be like a Saturday afternoon when everyone is relaxed. Figure out when a good time would be, schedule a meeting, take the initiative. Second, when you have that meeting, confess my part. Notice I said we're going to talk about steps of conflict resolution, and some of you are like, yeah, let's get ready to fight, okay? When do we get to bash? When do we get to tell them? I am, we're on step two, and we haven't opened our mouth and said you are wrong with anything yet. We haven't confronted with anything. Number one, we schedule a meeting. Number two, we confess my part. You say it's all their fault. Look, unless you are Jesus himself, you got a part to play. There's no such thing as a conflict that is 100 to zero. No such thing. It could be 90-10. It could be 95-5. Then you know what I would say? Go confess the five. Apologize for the five. They did, they did, they did, they did, they did, they did, they did. And then I cursed them back. Then you're at fault. Confess for the way you cursed them back. That's not right. They did, and they initiated, and they instigated, and they, and they, and they. And then I just said this. Well, then that's wrong. Confess your part. Because, you know, when you confess and you start the conversation, schedule a meeting, we need to talk, and what we want to talk about is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry disarms your opponent. I heard a story one time about a guy who was, who was driving, okay, he wasn't the one that was involved, but he saw the whole thing. So a lady cut off someone else on the road, okay? And, and then the guy who got cut off went like ballistic, like completely road rage and the honking and the horn, the cursing and the windows down, the whole thing, like going crazy, going crazy, going crazy. And then he pulled up alongside the lady at the next light or something like that. And she turned to him and said, I'm sorry. And he said, it's fine. What are you going to say to I'm sorry? Little old lady says, I'm sorry. Like, what are you going to say? You fight and ready, ready, let's go. And here we go. And I come and say, I was wrong when I did this. I'm sorry. King Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 28, 13, a verse that I think applies to your relationship with God, but also with man. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So who's going to be, again, the peacemaker? The one who's willing to humble himself. Humility, in case you didn't know, is the strongest power on this planet. Nothing can defeat humility. The hardest rock, the hardest relationship can be destroyed by humility, by an I'm sorry, by hey, I was wrong. We're going to schedule a meeting. We're going to confess my part. We are going to look. Remember how last week we said look past words and go to hurts? All right, we're going to do that for our owns. So we're not just going to say, well, I didn't say anything wrong. Maybe you didn't say anything wrong. But maybe you were kind of insensitive when you said it. Maybe you weren't insensitive. Maybe you were overly sensitive when she responded. Maybe you were ungrateful when he did. Maybe you were unappreciative. So I didn't say anything wrong. Okay, but let's go past that. Let's go a little bit deeper and see that maybe the attitude wasn't necessarily where it needs to be. We're going to schedule a meeting. Then we're going to look in the mirror before we look out the window. Number three, what we are going to do is we're going to listen for hurt. 
We're going to say the sorry. And then we're going to listen. And let the other person talk. We haven't confronted any of the issues yet. We're going to listen. And we're going to see, not again, just what the words are, but we're going to see, is there a hurt that's underlying all this whole issue? Now, some of you say, my husband has no feelings. I don't even skip this step. He has no feelings. He's cold. She's cold. They have no feelings. If there's anyone who doesn't have feelings, it's me. But I'm telling you, that three-month period, I had my feelings hurt. I don't think I've ever said that word before in my life. I had my feelings hurt. But you know what? You know why I don't say that? I'm saying that just for your sake. I don't believe I had my feelings hurt. What I believe is I had my logic hurt is what I believe, okay? And I always say this to Miriam. She's like, that hurt my feelings. I'm like, well, that hurt my logic, okay? And if feelings, like, why can't it be? So I will never say, your husband may never say, your friend may never say you hurt my feelings. I never said it, and it felt kind of weird when I said it right now. But here's what I feel more, much more comfortable saying. That, that way I express hurt feelings is through logic. It's not that you hurt my feelings, but what I will say is you were wrong for these seven reasons, and here's a chart and explanation of why you were wrong. Like, I'll go into overly logical mode when I feel like someone has done something wrong. That is a hurt that's underlying, so it may not appear like your kind of hurt, your kind of emotion, but if we're going to be successful and we're going to win at relationships, we got to listen, not just for words, but for hurts that go underneath it. James 1.19, showed you all this verse last week. I think this verse right here, this will save you thousands of dollars in marriage counseling right here. This will save you thousands of dollars in, in, in relationship counseling and therapy if you could get this verse down. This will help your career in ways that you cannot imagine if you get James 1.19. Let's read it all together on the count of three. One, two, three. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Again, slow I'm sorry, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Repeat after me. Swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Say it all together. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. If you can get this one, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, I'm telling you, your relational, relational success will go instantaneously, will grow exponentially if you can figure out how to do this. We're going to schedule a meeting. We're going to start by confessing our part. Humility always wins. Number three, we're going to listen for hurt in the other person. And then number four, now's your chance to speak. After you've done the first three steps, speak truth and love. Speak truthfully and lovingly. I'm a truth person. I love truth. Truth is the best. But truth without love equals bullying truth without love is a club that you beat someone over the head with and all of us haven't we experienced what truth without love feels like maybe we got berated by a boss and everything he said was right but man oh man the way he said it never got past it maybe when we were kids we were we were treated by our parents in a way where they were right. We shouldn't have done. But we just felt so small and so disrespected that we never forgave them. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a whatever. We all know what it's like to get truth without love, and it doesn't feel good. And what I want to say, not just it doesn't feel good, but I believe it's ineffective. I believe if you're trying to persuade another person with truth without love, you're not, you're not going to be successful. Look what King Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 21. The wise of the heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech 
increases pervasiveness, persuasiveness, sweetness of speech. Some of you who are managers and supervisors and bosses need to write this verse down. That, yeah, you may be right, and you were right. You were right, but you lost your employee's heart, and you lost your, your, you lost your co-worker's loyalty. Truth without love will always be resisted. Truth with love can be embraced. When you are offensive, people will respond defensive. But a nice way of saying it, you are never persuasive when you speak abrasive. You're never persuasive when you speak abrasive. Because a true peacemaker, a true peacemaker does not focus on just issues. A true peacemaker focuses on relationships. And that's the example that Christ gave to all of us, didn't he? When Christ came down, the incarnation, did God send his son into the world to judge the world and to tell the world they were wrong? Like, did Christ come to convince us, I'm right, you're wrong? He was right. And he had every right to say, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm the judge. You guys are not doing this the right way. Did he come to convince us that he was right and that we were wrong? No, he came to convince us that he loves us and that he cares for us. He came to convince us that we are valuable even though we're wrong. And that is a much more effective way to persuade somebody. St. Paul says it this way in Romans 2.4. What leads people to repentance? Is it God's wrath and judgment and fear of God? Romans 2.4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So I'm not even saying it's the right Christian thing to do to be gentle and kind. I'm saying it's the effective thing to do. If you want to be effective in convincing the other person and resolving that conflict, learn to be gentle and kind. It worked when Christ did it. So let's recap the four steps. May, big picture, we talked about conflict, unresolved conflict, biggest hindrance in our relationship with God. Can't pray if there's problem here. Can't greet one another with a holy kiss if I'm gossiping about one another behind their backs. Can't have this without this. So therefore, we're going to take initiative. How are we going to take initiative? We're going to schedule a meeting. We're going to confess my part. We're going to listen for hurt. We're going to speak truthfully and lovingly. Now let me go back to you. Which relationship do you need to take initiative in? Which relationship? Which relationships are you just waiting for the other person to turn around? Who do you need to schedule a meeting with? Who do you need to shoot a text to? Say, hey, we need to get together. We need to chat. When you get to that meeting, what is it you need to confess? No one is 100% zero. It's never 100-0. If you think it's 100-0, you have a God complex where you think you are God. You are not God. I can tell you that you're not God. Your spouse can tell you. Your kids can tell you. Everyone would love to tell you that you're not God. It's never 100-0. When you confess your part, what hurt might you not be, might you be missing? What, what like missing fact in this conflict? Like what's evading you? Like this doesn't make any sense. Like what might you be missing the effect of what you did or what you said? And then after you've done those three, then you open your mouth and you speak truthfully and lovingly. This isn't easy. It'll always be easier to quit on a relationship than to fight for a relationship. It'll always be easier to give up than to resolve it. Always be easier to talk about the problem than talk to the person where the problem exists. But you know what? That's not what God did with us. God didn't talk about us. God came and talked to us. God didn't wash his hands of us and say, 
these foolish people. God came. He scheduled a meeting, so to speak. Came to us. We were sitting like this. He came to us and said, I'm coming for you. I'm not waiting for you to come to me. I'm coming for you. Obviously, doesn't need to confess his part. But he came and he heard. He didn't view us as just sinners who were bad and who were rebellious. He viewed us as sick people who were captive to the bad guy and needed a break. And he gave us that break. He spoke truth, but truth always wrapped in love. And that's why we responded the way that we did. I'll give you two verses to wrap up here with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. It says, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the same word of reconciliation. I believe it is impossible to be a disciple of Christ and not be a peacemaker. It is impossible. It is part of our inherent calling that if we are going to say we are his children, we are his sons and daughters, we are his disciples, we must be peacemakers as well. Not peace wisher forers, not peace lovers, but peacemakers. People who realize that the goal isn't everybody to agree with me. Again, the goal isn't the issue. The goal isn't no conflict. The goal isn't everyone to see the world the way I see it. The goal is not the issue. The goal is the relationship, the reconciliation of the relationship. And my prayer and my hope is that we, children of God, can approach a world full of conflict, full of conflict out there, full of all kinds of disagreement, and we can go in there in a God-honoring way, and we can make peace, and we can show people that, you know what, that we can disagree on certain things, and we can still have a relationship. That we can disagree without being disagreeable. That we can still love each other, even though we don't see eye to eye on every single thing in this world. Or as we always say here, that we can walk hand in hand, even though we don't necessarily see eye to eye. And when you do that, you will make your Father in heaven very proud. Because he says this in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you took the initiative with us, that the only reason that we can love you is because you first loved us and you came down and sent your Son into this world to save us, to heal us, to lift us back up. I pray, Lord, that we can be peacemakers the way you reconciled us, that we can help be agents of reconciliation in this world, whether it's a, a, a sibling or a parent or a marriage or a friendship, like whatever that conflict that, that you want us to resolve, Lord, I pray that you would put it on our hearts. Give us the courage and the boldness to take a step, take the initiative to discuss the elephant that's in the room and to address it in a way that honors you and honors your holy name. We pray these things in the mighty name of your son, with the prayers of all of your saints, here as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into 